from Panama out of town, but we're still keeping the class up. Uh, we have the Shi'ur extra special learning tonight. She needs Yeshua'ot. She needs Refu'a Shilema Bezat Hashem. So we're starting the new parasha, and that is Parashat Yitro. If you're following inside, it's chapter 18, and it's Pasuk number one. Vayishma Yitro, Kohen Midian, Choten Moshe, so now it comes and tells us that Yitro, who was the father-in-law of Moshe, he heard something. And based on what he heard, he left his city, Midian, and he came and joined B'nai Israel. The question is, what did he hear? So that she says, Mashimu Asha he heard about two miracles. He heard about the splitting of the sea, and he also heard about the war of Amalek. When the Jews left Mitzrayim, Amalek attacked us. And he heard about those two events, and uh, ultimately he saw the hand of God with the Jewish people, and he decided to convert, and he came and he joined us. The Torah tells us his name was Yitro, Moshe's father-in-law, that is, but Indeed, Yitro had seven names. I'll tell you the seven names of Yitro. Re'u'el, Yeter, Yitro, Chobab, Hever, Keni, Keni, and then Puti'el. And the Torah comes and tells us that he was Choten Moshe, uh, the father of Moshe, which is obviously a big zechut for, uh, for Yitro, that he is considered the father-in-law of the greatest man, of Moshe. And uh, the Pasuk says that he heard all the miracles that God did to Moshe and to Yisrael. And the rabbis tell us, that as she brings down, that it puts Moshe and Yisrael in the same Pasuk to come along and say Moshe was equal to all of B'nai Yisrael. He heard also about the man that was falling, which is miraculous. He also heard about the special well that traveled with the Jewish people that provided them water. And again, he heard about the exodus out of its time. So all these things caused Yitro to leave his town, the city, to come and join B'nai Yisrael. So Yitro, the father of Moshe, took its sipura. Who is Sipura? Eshet Moshe. It's an amazing thing. People don't realize that the only uh, Jews that did not experience, thank you, Moses, the only Jews that did not experience Yitzhak Mitzrayim was Moshe's family. Moshe's family was not there. Yitro, obviously, his father was in Midyam. Sipura, Moshe's wife, was with her father. And Moshe's children were with their grandfather. So how ironic it is, Moshe Rabbeinu saves all the Jewish people, and they just heard about it, his children, but they didn't actually witness this. Until after the fact, Yitro brings Sipporah, Moshe's wife, back. Uh, and it says, he brought also his two sons, Shema Echad Gereshom, one of the sons is called Gereshom. Ki Amar, because he said, I was a stranger in a 
foreign land. If you remember when Moshe Rabbeinu uh, went to Midian after he killed the Egyptian, let's just review history, he killed the Egyptian many years before, and he ran away to Midian. And then after that, God told him, okay, go back to Mitzrayim. So if you remember, Moshe Rabbeinu went back with him, his wife, and his children. And Aharon came out to greet Moshe, if you remember. And Aharon said, who are these people with you? So he said, this is my wife. I got married. You didn't hear. I got married to this girl in Midian. And these are my uh, children. So uh, Aharon says, and where do you think you're taking these people? He says, what do you mean? I'm taking them to Mitzrayim. So Aharon says, on the people that are already in Egypt, we're suffering. Now you want to bring more people to, 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 to suffer? What are you bringing them there? Why would you want to bring them in, in harm's way? So Moshe Rabbeinu said, my brother is right. And he sent his wife back. So Sipura was on the way to Egypt. Aaron advised, don't bring her into this, uh, this dangerous situation. And therefore she was sent back with the children. So when Moshe made all these miracles, his own family really didn't, uh, really didn't experience it firsthand. Now, the first son of Moshe is called Gershom. Ged, Ged means a stranger. Because Moshe Rabbein was a stranger in a foreign land. Gershom was born in Midian, strange land. Meshemayahad, the second son, was called Eliezer. Why was he called Eliezer? Ki Abi the God of my father, was at my aid. And he saved me from the sword of Paro. Now, when when did Moshe get saved from the sword of Paro? I don't remember a story that Moshe got saved from the sword of Paro. Does anybody know when that happened? That Moshe Rabbeinu got saved from the sword of Paro? After he killed the Egyptian and he ran away. Say again? After he killed the Egyptian and he ran away. When he smoked Very the good. Egyptian. Very good. So it says that when Datamba Abiram snitched on Moshe, and they told Paro that he killed the Egyptian. So then there was a bounty on... Okay, more, more, you got it. I understand you. You got it. You're right. Now let me just finish and uh, we'll give you the credit. So what happened? Moshe Rabbeinu was in danger and Paro put a bounty on his head and he finally caught up with him. And it says he took the sword and he put it against Moshe's neck and Moshe's neck turned into like marble. And instead of Moshe's neck breaking, the sword broke. And then Moshe Rabbeinu was able to, uh, to run away. Amen. Amen. Now it says that Vayavo Yitro Hoten Moshe Yitro, the son-in-law of, sorry, the father of Moshe, Ubanav and his children, El Moshe, they came to Moshe, El Midbar. They came to the Midbar, which is the desert. Now, what does it have to tell me? We know they were in the desert. So the Pasuk comes along and says that even though Yitro was sitting in the lap of luxury, in Midian, Yitro was considered a Hashub guy. You have to imagine, Yitro has his house in Midian, he has his family there, he has his setup, and all of a sudden, when he hears about the nation of God, he picks up his whole family and leaves his comfort zone in Midian, and he goes to the Midbar, to the desert. I mean, imagine... Imagine you would hear about some, you know, divine people, and you just pick up and you leave Brooklyn. You say, okay, wherever, wherever you live, 
You pick up, you say, I'm going. Where are you going? I'm moving to the desert. Why? Because there's a divine people there that believe in the true God. So therefore, the Torah wants to highlight Yitro's accomplishment. And look how great he was. He moved to the Midbar. And nobody forced him. And he, he moved on in order to what? To hear Torah. That's why the rabbis say there's a great, great uh, content in Parashat Yitro. The content in Parashat Yitro is the Ten Commandments. And Yitro gets rewarded that in his Parashat we get the Ten Commandments because of his self-sacrifice that he left his comfort to come here uh, the Torah of the Jewish people. So God puts the Torah's giving in his Parashat. Beautiful. Now watch this. So he tells Moshe, I am your father-in-law, Yitro. Now, and your wife is with me, and her two sons. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu was being told by his father-in-law, I am your father-in-law. If I am worthy, come and greet me. And if not, do it for your wife's sake. And if not, do it for your children. So basically we're saying, come escort me. And not for my sake only, but for your wife and children. So what happened? Look at an amazing story now. Moshe Rabbeinu comes to greet his father-in-law. Now, could you imagine this kabod? Look at this man over here now. Yitro has Moshe coming to greet him. Moshe had been the greatest man. And now all of a sudden, B'nai Yisrael see Moshe going to greet him. Who could he be going to greet? Who could be greater than Moshe? Well, not that he was greater than Moshe, but he afforded the respect. Now, when Aharon saw Moshe going, so he said, I have to go with my brother. If he's going, I have to respect it also. Well, when Aharon went, then his sons followed, Nadav Abihu. And then when Nadav Abihu went, all B'nai Israel followed as well. So all of a sudden you have an entourage of 600,000 people now coming to greet Yitro. Talk about uh, a reward to a person who left the pagan religion and joined the true religion of Judaism. And look how Hashem rewards him. He gets the kavod of bigger than kings. 600,000 people go out of their ways now to go visit, to, to greet him, and Moshe is leading the pack. The Pasuk says, Vayishtahu Vayishaklo. It says he bowed. Now who bowed? The tricky Pasuk here. It says he bowed to him. Well, who's, who, who's he and who's him? Did Moshe bow to Yitro or did Yitro bow to Moshe? So that she says, we can figure it out from the pasuk because it says by uh, it says by yishtahu by yishaklo, he bowed and then he kissed him by yishalu ish lederehu leshalom, and the ish, the man, asked his friend how he's doing, and we know that who is called ish Moshe's ish, ish Moshe, so we can learn from the context of the end of the pasuk by yishalu ish lederehu. The man, Moshe, spoke to his friend, which is Yitro. So therefore, Moshe must be the one that's active in this pasuk. So he's the one that bowed, and he's the one that kissed his father. And now the pasuk says, Moshe, Moshe starts to tell his father the story. 
Ed Kodashir Asashim the Faro, all that God did to Faro. Look at Moshe Rabbeinu, it's unbelievable. He's trying to now bring Yitro closer to God. So Moshe Rabbeinu now is giving him a, like a, a, a speech, trying to soften his heart so Yitro will have uh, comfort to come close to Hashem. He tells about the stories. He's hearing it firsthand from Moshe. Could you imagine that you get the story Mamash from Moshe? That's the best Haggadah of Pesach, that Moshe is telling the story himself. He told them what happened at the Yamsuf. He told them about Amalek. And he said how God saved them and all the Egyptians drowned and all the Amalekim got killed. What's Yitro's reaction? The Pasuk says, So simply it means he rejoiced. And all the good Hashem was so happy for us. That he saved it from Mitzrayim. That's the simple explanation. But the Midrash comes along and says that he got what's called goose flesh. Anybody know what goose flesh is? Anybody touched the flesh of a goose recently? There's bumps. You ever understand goose bumps? Because if you touch the flesh of a goose, it's all bumpy. So therefore they say, oh, the guy, when he gets scared, he says, oh, all of a sudden his skin starts to become like uh, these like uh, prickly items start coming out of the flesh. It's the real thing. So it says his flesh became prickly and he developed goose flesh. Now, why? Usually you get goosebumps when you're afraid of something or you get scared. What happened? So it says, because he heard about the destruction of Egypt. So what does he care? The destruction of Egypt should make him feel happy. Says, yeah, but you have to remember everybody, Yitro originally was a goy. And a goy, no matter how many generations he converts, he still remembers his, his Gentilehood. And therefore, when he heard all those goyim dying, he felt bad. And from here, the Gemara learns a lesson that a convert uh, or even the descendant of one who converted up to 10 generations do not disgrace an, a goy in his presence. Because if you disgrace a goy, even in the presence of a convert, he takes it personal. Here you throw was converting to Judaism, but he couldn't control himself to feel bad that all the Egyptians died. So that's why it says his body was filled with hadudim, hadudim. Finds his roots. What, what are you saying? His roots, his roots, where you came from. What do you mean? Yitro came from Egypt. He was, uh, you know, well, actually, he was in the end, you're right. But anyway, he felt dead. Okay, right. Yeah, okay, no problem. Where are we now? I lost my bearings after that, where we are now. Here we are. Vayomer Yitro, Yitro says, Baruch Hashem, Asher Itzil Etchem Miyad Mitzrayim. Blessed is God. It's beautiful. He blesses Hashem that He saved you from Mitzrayim and from the hands of Paro. Asher Itzil Etaram. God saved the nation Mitachad Yad Mitzrayim from the hands of Mitzrayim. Now, you have to know 
the Jewish people are in a bad situation that she says it's Mitzrayim and Paro. Mitzrayim is a tough nation and Paro is a tough king. So therefore, you, know, you got you got over two. You have a tough people with a tough leader, and still we got out of it. And then the final pasuk of the evening, Atayadati. Yitro says, Now I know that God is greater than all the gods. From here we learn that Yitro served every god. He went through the whole Rolodex from A to Z. He served every god. Now he's able to make a statement. God is the true God from all the gods. Now, we would not be able to make that statement because Baruch Hashem, we never worship any other God. But Yitro had the advantage of comparison because he did worship every other God. He was looking for the truth. No, it's not this one. Try the next one. No, not that one. Try the next one. So at the end, when he came to God, he said, now I realize that God is the true God from all other gods. You know what the lesson to us is? Now, after Yitro did the research for us, we don't have to research anymore. Nobody has to search. Yitro already did the, uh, the legwork for us. He went and he looked and he researched every single religion and his conclusion was, it's all false. Now I know that God of the Jews is only the real God. God punished the Egyptians based on what they schemed against us. Now, the Hakamim come and tell us, what does that mean? That means, this is a deep interpretation, the way that she's explaining. That she says, in the very kettle in which they cooked, they were cooked. Zadu comes from the word nizid. Do you remember when Yaakov Aminu made the soup? The, the lentil soup, the adesu. soup. So it's called the lentil soup nizid. So nizid is a soup. So what the pasuk said over here is, ki badavar ashir zadu. In the, in the kettle that they wanted to cook the Jewish people, they got cooked, which means God punished them measure for measure. It's a very important principle that God punishes measure for measure, but it's even deeper. Yitro was one of the advisors of Paro, and he knew all the schemes that the Egyptians were planning on doing to the Jewish people. And he knew good and well that a lot of those schemes and plans never came to fruition. As the Jews, we only know the plans that succeed. But Yitro knew that there were many plans that they tried to do to us that didn't succeed. And therefore, Yitro knows how grateful we should be. We're only grateful for the plans that were exposed. But Yitro knew, as I sat in the meetings, I knew what this guy Paro was up to. There was a lot of things he had coming down the pipe. But God foiled his plans before they even came to re reality. Now, only Yitro knew that. Now, when he told the Jewish people that they were surprised, they said, we didn't even know that was supposed to happen. We didn't even know we were in trouble. We thought only, only this. No, whatever you saw is what came to fruition. But you should know there was many more schemes. So that's why Yitro was able to appreciate the miracles more than anybody else. Because he saw the hand of God behind the scenes foil the plans of the Messiah. And as a result, they brought sacrifices uh, for God as gratitude. Aaron came, and all the elders. They had a 
a regular seuda. Now the question is, where was Moshe for this seuda? It says Yitro sat down to have a seuda. Aaron joined them. All the elders. Where was Moshe? And the pasuk comes. The she comes along and says, he was serving them. Unbelievable. He was the waiter. You see how humble our master Moshe is? Moshe, the greatest man. And what is he doing? He's the one serving them. Hey, eat a little of this, eat a little of that. And here you learn that so great is the leaders of B'nai Sel and Moshe, and his greatness is the humility. It's such a beautiful lesson. He's serving them. Finally, it says, Moshe. It says, and they ate in front of God. And Rashi learns a fantastic lesson of it. What do you mean they ate in front of God? They ate at the table. What does it mean they ate in front of God? So that she learns a lesson that anytime somebody sits at a seuda with his tamidah hakamim present, with his rabbis that are present, like at that seuda, Aharon was present, the Dabavayu was present, the elders were present, that she says, it's as if they are enjoying and taking pleasure from the splendor of the Shekhinah itself. So that's a big item. When you sit with Tamidah Hakamim in a Seuda, know you're in the presence of God, because God is at that Seuda as well. So that's what the Pasuk says. They sat and broke bread with Neha Elohim, because sitting in front of the Tamidah Hakamim is as if you're sitting in front of Elohim. We learned these classes. We say, We're learning these Shi'urim. So we begin today's in uh, Parashat Yitro. We are at Sheni, that's chapter 18, Pasuk Yudgimal. So we learned in last night's Shi'ur that Yitro came from Midian and he came to visit his son-in-law, Moshe, and he brought with him Sipporah and his two, his two children. And they had a Sauda, and the Sauda was uh, with Aharon and the Zikinim, and they brought Korbanot, and uh, that was a great, a great moment of reunification of Yitro and Moshe, actually, and his family. Fahim and Mahorat was the next day. Rashi says, this was the day after Yom Kippur, actually. Fahim and Mahorat, Vayeshev Moshe, Lishpot Etaam. So Moshe is now going to sit to judge the people. Now, this is a complicated concept because Moshe is only one person, and the people are in the tens of thousands. So that she comes along and says, Yoshev Kamelech, Moshe Rabbeinu was sitting like a king and everybody's standing. And you have to stand online. Today we got used to standing online. In the olden days, they're all standing online and they have their cases that they're bringing in front of Moshe. So Yitro didn't like this. He didn't accept that you could have all these people standing online uh, in, 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 in one day. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be told by his father-in-law that he's doing the wrong thing by leading them alone. He's going to tell me he needs help. So the people were standing. 
waiting for Moshe's advice, from the morning until the evening. And then she comes along and says, is it possible from the morning to the evening? It has to be an exaggeration. It can't be literally that they stood from the morning to the evening. And he quotes that says that any judge that is an honest judge and judges correctly, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives him credit as if he's learning all day. That the judge shouldn't think, oh, I'm wasting my time, I could be sitting in the Beit Midrash studying, <clears throat> and instead I'm dealing with people's uh, monetary cases or financial cases. He says, no, when a judge judges uh, a proper dean, an honest judgment, it's as if he's studying Torah the whole day, and it's as if he becomes a partner with God in the creation. So that's a, a compliment to the, to the judges. So even though he did it part of the day, God considers it as if he was learning the entire day. That's the credit to an honest judge. So Yitro is watching whatever Moshe is doing. What are you doing to the people? Why are you sitting alone? And the people are standing from morning till night. Yitro was upset about the system. He couldn't accept that Moshe Rabbeinu would allow the people this trouble. He's going to tell them you need help. So Moshe says, what do you want? My father-in-law. The people want advice. The people want wisdom. They want to understand what Hashem wants from them. And I have the answers. When they have a question, they come to me. And I judge. Sometimes it's between a person and his friend. And I'm able to Give the people the proper guidance uh, based on the law of Hashem. So Yitro comes along and says, Moshe elav. Yitro says to him, Wow, gives it to him strong. He tells it to him, Lotov. Why is it Lotov? Why is it not good? Nabotibol means you're going to become worn out. When somebody overworks, they become worn out, they become fatigued, they become tired. So he says, not only are you going to be worn out, the people are going to get worn out standing on these long lines, and therefore you're going to burn yourself out, and you're going to burn the people out. Nabot, this is too big of a job for you, Moshe. You cannot do this job alone. Even though Moshe, you're very strong, that she says, even though Moshe has tremendous potential, this job over here is beyond. Fine. So what's the advice? Take my advice. I'll give you a good uh, consultation. 
And don't take my advice, Yitro says. Ask God, see if he agrees. So therefore, he says that you're going to be the messenger to bring the word of the people to God, but you'll do it in this way. And you'll guide them, teaching them the Torah, the Hukim, the different laws. You'll teach them the road that they should walk in. And you'll teach them the proper actions that they should take. But that can only be done. You have to go find from the people proper judges. And what are the qualifications of these judges? And Shehail means they have to be rich. Now, why do you think a judge has to be rich? Very simple. So he cannot be bribed. If a judge is needy, he can bribe them. So first of all, he says you have to get men that are on Shehail. And you also have to find people that are Yid'eh Elohim that are God-fearing, and and she'emet, and she'emet, which means that they you can trust them, which means that their words are going to be accepted. When they say guilty, the people will accept it. When they say you have to pay, these people are and she'emet. People can trust them, they rely on and Sun'e Batsa. Sun'e Batsa means Shisun'in et mamunam bedin. Ka'ida mirina kol dayana de mafkin mamunam mine bedayana lav dayanahu. So she is explaining over here that there have to be people that hate money. Now what does that mean they have to hate money? Which means Shisun'in et mamunam sheikh lem betzedu. It's amazing, which means that even if there's a case, a monetary case, that applies to the judge. <clears throat> Which means he's able to judge himself on a monetary case. Normally, when a person has a monetary case, he cannot see himself guilty because he loves money. So therefore he's blinded. So he cannot judge himself because he always will rationalize why the money belongs to him. A person can find 101 reasons why he doesn't have to pay and why the money belongs to him. He can create a lot of excuses. But if a person he doesn't rationalize. He doesn't want money that doesn't belong to him. If, it's, if there's a question, he'll, he'll, he'll return it. These are the type of people that you need. Which means like this, she tells us a beautiful lesson. Any judge that had to go to court for a monetary case affecting him cannot be a judge. Why? Because it means he didn't see it himself. If you need to go to court, that means you don't see that you're guilty. You need a judge to tell you that you're guilty. That means if a judge needs to go to court 
for a monetary case, he wasn't able to see the truth himself. Why? Because he was blinded by the money. And therefore, if a judge is blinded by the money, he cannot be a judge. Incredible, incredible point, Abotai. <clears throat> that means he has to be totally, totally objective without any bias. And then it says, if you could find these people, you have to appoint now let's review what this means. It means for every 1,000 of B'nai Israel, you have one judge. So there's 600,000. So how many judges are Sareh Alafim? 600. And then he said, for every 100, you need to have one judge. So 600,000. So that's going to be 60,000 judges. So now, or, or six, 6,000 judges. So now you have one for every thousand is 60. Uh, one for every thousand, I'm sorry, is 600. And then you have a hundred uh, for a one for every hundred, which is going to be 6,000. And then you're going to have one for every 50, which is going to be 12,000. And then you can have one for every 10, which is going to be 60,000, which means that she tells us you're going to have a total of 78,600 judges. Now, I want to tell you something about time. Sereme'ot, Sheshet Alafim, as she says, 6,000. Serehamishim Yudbet Elef. Sereasarot, Shishim Elef. Now, look what's going to happen over here. The day before, who was doing this job? Moshe. Moshe was doing the job of 78,600 people. Sometimes you have a worker who's a great worker. You say, why this guy does the job of two people? You say, wow, if he's great, he does the job of 10 people. Moshe Rabinu was doing the job of 78,600 people, but not regular people. Look at the type of people. And she'emet, son ebats, meaning quality people. Not 78,000 people that carry tomatoes on their back. 78,600 of the highest level caliber people. And Moshe had no problem to do the job himself. If it wasn't for Yitro, he would have kept on doing it. This goes to show you how great our master Moshe Rabbeinu was. His value is equal to all those people. Now, Continues, and they will judge the people at all times. The big cases, okay, like Supreme Court justice, they bring it to you. And the small cases, they will judge, meaning basically, Yitroh is telling them you have to delegate, you need. Management, you need middle management, you need lower management. You can't do everything yourself. We can or lighten the burden from you. And they'll carry it with you. Make it easier. If you're going to follow my advice, 
ושבחה אלוהים ויכולתה עמוק. Now, it's an amazing thing. Yitro understands that he can give advice, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to confirm it. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to do anything unless HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him that that's the right advice. So ultimately, when, and these people make this mistake, but ultimately when Moshe is going to add judges to the roster, why is he doing it? Not because Yitro told him. Ultimately, he's going to do it because HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him. And that's what Yitro is telling him over here. Which means, Ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that she says, Hamnek Begmura, Im Yitzabe Otak La'asot Ketukal La'amot, Im Ya'akim Al Yedecha, But Yitro says, I don't know if Hashem's going to tell you not to do it. I don't see how you're going to be able to stand. It's going to be too difficult. So the pasuk comes along and says, "Vegam kol al And then, as a result of this advice, everybody in the nation will go home in peace. So the she comes along and says, "Not only you, but you'll benefit Aharon, Aharon's children, and the seventy elders, which means they also benefit from this that they won't have to work." As hard. So Gam Kola'am is including uh, all those uh, helpers that you had till now. They'll be saved from the from the trouble. Moshe hears his father-in-law's advice. And he listens. He does it. He chose Anshehayil. What's Anshehayil? He found rich people. Because Israel. He put them leaders, again, one for every thousand, that's 600. That's uh, one for every hundred. And then Hamishim, one for every fifty. And Sareh Asarot. We have 600. 6,000, 12,000, and 60,000. Different managers. They would judge the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moshe. And the smaller cases, they themselves would judge. Now, very nice. After this was over, and he gave the advice, maybe he was afraid he's going to get some more advice, so he sent them home. But nonetheless, the pasuk says, he sent his father back home. And she says something beautiful over here. still had some family back in Midyad, and they weren't converted yet. Yitro converted. And uh, whoever he brought with him, his daughter, is converted. But he sent some family back home. So the Pasuk says, He went back to his land in order to convert the rest of his family. This Shi'unim of the Quran of Hayas Sarah, this class should be a Nefuah Shalema 
Fohaya Sara Batsimcha, Zatashem. Okay, well, after Pelek Yutet, the Pasuk writes, this is one of the highlights of the entire Humash. We're about to get the Torah. Bahodish Shilishi, in the third month, they said Bene Israel, Meeret Mitzrayim, when Bene Israel left Egypt. So we left Egypt in Nisan. So the second month would be Iyar, and the third month would be Sivan. So it's on Sivan. So on the first day of the month, they hit, they, they came to Har Sinai. So it was Rosh Chodesh Sivan. Now Rashi has a problem. Rashi points out that it says, on this day, they came to Har Sinai. What it should have wrote, it should have wrote, on that day when they came to Har Sinai, what's on this day, meaning like it's current, says Rashi that whenever a person learns Torah, you have to, you have to make it as if it was given today. Anytime a person learns Torah, it should be new to you like it was given today, like the day Hashem gave the Torah. The Pasu continues, Vayisum Nefidim, they traveled from Nefidim, Vayavob B'Mirbal Sinai, and they came to Midbar Sinai, and they camped in the desert. And Bnei Yisrael camped opposite the mountain. So Rashi points out again, it says, they traveled from the Fidim and they went to a place called Midbar Sinai, where we got the Torah. So Rashi wants to know, we, the, in the previous um, parasha, we already know they, they were they were camped in the Fidim. So why does it have to say they left the Fidim? Could have just said Sinai. They came, they traveled from wherever they were, which we know they were in the Fidim to Har Sinai. Why is the Basuk saying it again? So the so the Rashi points out to teach you that just like when they came to Har Sinai, they knew they were getting the Torah and they repented and they did Teshuvah. So too in the Fidim, they also, the leaving the Fidim, the Pasuk writes, that's what Amalek came and attacked them. And the Pasuk says they attacked them because their hands were weak, because they were weak in doing mitzvot. So they repented on leaving the Fidim, just like they repented going to Har Sinai. Now, another point that she points out, it says, Vayichan Sham Yisrael uses the word Vayichan, it should say Vayahanu. In Hebrew, it's talking about the singular, what, like one person camped. It should have said Bnei Yisrael camped in plural. Why does he use the word Vayichan in singular? So Rashi points out, famous Rashi, Ke'ishechad Belevechad. They all were, they all had achdut together. And we see from this Rashi that in order to get the Torah, we have to have achdut. One of the prerequisite items in order to receive the Torah is to have achdut. Continues the Pasukim. Moshe Allah Elohim. Moshe ascended to the mountain. Vayikra elav Hashem. Minahad and Hashem called Moshe from the mountain. Lemor saying, Kol toma lebet Yaakov. So you shall tell to the house of Jacob. Vetaged neisel. And go tell the Bnei Israel, the sons of Israel. So now, what's the two? So Moshe, Hashem seemingly saying two things. Go tell the houses of Jacob and the children of Israel. 
So Rashi points out that the houses of Jacob refer to the women. And the B'nai Yisrael refer to the men. Now, if you look, Rashi points out again that we use two different type of words. When it's talking about the women, it uses the word, the word tomad, which is from the word amad, which is a very soft talking. As opposed to, to the men, it says vataged. Taged is a harsh telling. So we learn from here that when you talk to women, you should always talk in a very soft manner. As opposed to men, you could tell them the way it is. Continues the pasuk. Atem re'item et asher asiti Hashem is saying, this is what they're going to tell B'nai Yisrael. So now Hashem is telling Moshe what to say. Atem re'item, you saw asher asiti le'mitzrayim, what I did to Egypt. Now, what does that mean you've seen? So again, we didn't just, you know, we didn't hear that Hashem did miracles. We didn't, you know, um, get it passed down, you know, through Misorah that, oh, Hashem did miracles. These people actually saw Hashem did miracles with their own eyes. So Hashem's pointing them out. And I placed you and I carried you on the wings of eagles. Again, this is, uh, she learns this, that this is talking about uh, in, in a more of a metaphor sense, in like a mashal. And I brought you guys to me. Now, what does that mean? I carried you on the wings of eagles. So, um, the Rashi points out that eagle is not like any other bird. All other birds, when they're carrying their children, when they're carrying the most precious items, they put it in, uh, in their claws when they, when they fly. Why? Because if they would carry their babies on their back, what would happen? They, um, they're scared that other birds that fly higher than them will go and steal the, the, the chicks from on top of the bird. Therefore, they carry the, 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 their, their babies and their chicks in their claws in order that they, they could see what's, what's, what's so they could fly away. However, an eagle is, could fly higher than any other bird. Therefore, it's scared, it, it fears no bird. And, and it puts the babies on their back, meaning that they're not afraid of anyone. There's no birds that are gonna go higher than me. I could, the, the, the eagles it could afford to put the babies on their back. And therefore, the only thing the eagle is scared of is an arrow. Now, an arrow comes from the, as she points out, right? When you shoot an arrow at a bird, it would hit the babies. Now, usually the, the, the fear of, it, of another bird attacking it is greater. So therefore, a regular bird will put it in its claws. However, eagles, since they're afraid of arrows, because only they only fear man, they don't fear any other bird. So too, they put their babies on their back. So Hashem saying, I brought you out of Egypt in such a manner, so to speak, I wasn't afraid of anyone. And, and I brought you out like that. Um, and now, if you, you know, if you uh, hear my voice, and you um, keep my covenant, and you will be the most treasured nation from all the nations, for the whole earth is mine. What's going on here? Hashem's telling Moshe, at the end of the day, I can't call you my nation only because I only I own the whole world. Hashem owns the whole world. They all belong to Hashem. However, Hashem is saying, but you will be to me 
like a treasure, so to speak, like a king that, that has a treasure that stores his special treasure away in his, in his treasury. So too, you're going to be like that to me. The attempt you lead, and you'll also be to me, um, like uh, uh, the priests of the kingdom, and a holy nation. What does that mean? Meaning like the, the ministers. We're going to be like the ministers of Hashem. We, so to speak, represent Hashem in this world. We're going to be like his aristocrats, his ministers. kadosh, And you'll be a holy nation. These specific words. These exact words you should tell. Okay. Continues the Pasuk Zayin. Moshe. Moshe came, and he told the elders, and he placed before them all these words, exactly what Hashem said. Now, um, Rashi points out that, so the timeline was as follows. They first came to, um, they first got to High Sinai on Rosh Chodesh Sivan. Next, when the, the following day, Moshe went up to the mountain. So that's the second of Sivan. He went up to the mountain. Hashem called him from the mountain. And the third day, he told B'nai Israel. so this is the third day of the month, he told B'nai Yisrael um, what Hashem told them, told him to tell the people. And all the people um, um, answered together, and they said, whatever Hashem spoke to you, we will do. He brought back what B'nai Yisrael said to Hashem. Now, again, even though, again, she points out that obviously Moshe knows that Hashem knows everything, right? He knows what the B'nai Yisrael answered. However, the, um, she says Moshe, had this, uh, Moshe was teaching us that when, you, when someone tells you to do something, you go report back to them, even if they know what 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 what's what happened still Derek Eretz to report back to them. Um Pasuket Vayomed Hashem El Moshe Hine Anochi Ba Elecha Behold I will come to you Beavha Anan in a in a thick cloud Baavud in order Yishmaha Ambit Devedi Imach in order so that the people will hear like just the same way I speak to you, the people will hear my voice like I speak to you. And they will also believe in you. forever. And Moshe spoke this, these words to the um, told the words of the people to Hashem. Now, Rashi points out, it says, they will also believe in you. So Rashi points out that that not only will Moshe be, not only will they hear Hashem's voice and now fully believe in Hashem, but they will also believe in Moshe, Vegam, and the words of the word Vegam to include all the future prophets, they will also believe. Now this is on the fourth day. So Moshe, now this is the fourth day of the month. Moshe goes back to um, Hashem and this is what Hashem tells him. So, so the timeline is as follows. As we said, the first day of the month, they got to Har Sinai. The second day of the month, Moshe went up. The third day of the month, Moshe comes back with the report to what Hashem said. And the fourth day of the month, he reports back to Hashem. And Hashem tells him that 
I'm going to come to you guys in the cloud and everyone's going to hear my voice. Okay? We'll stop here tonight. B'zat Hashem, this should be a refuah shlema for Haya Sarah Bat Simcha. Okay, Rabotai. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, Rebbe. I'm Alka, how are you? Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thank God, thank God. Baruch Hashem. Okay, let me make this over here. All right. Baruch Atah Adonai, Elohim Elchanem, Shekunam Baruch. Amen. All right, Rabotai, we're learning Hamash. Sorry, last night I was stuck on a plane. So, uh... I couldn't make it, but tonight, Baruch Hashem, they let us off. So we're here. We're, Your we son-in-law was fabulous. Thank you, Baruch Hashem. That's what I heard. Baruch Hashem. Raving reviews, Baruch Hashem. Okay, where, where did we leave off? Did he do the Ten Commandments? Let's see what he got until. Uh, we got until. No, not yet. Not yet. Okay, so we're up there, Shishi. So we're learning over here for the Fuash Shalema Hayasara Batsimha. And if you're following inside, <clears throat> we're in chapter 19 and it's Pasuk number 20. Vayered Adonai al Har Sinai al Roshahar. So the Pasuk says God's presence uh, came down uh, on Har Sinai. Now the she over here right away says, that it can't be that God came down exactly to the mountain because the Pasuk says that God spoke to us from the heavens. So therefore, he couldn't come down. So what does it mean then? So that she says over here, Amazing. He took the heavens and he brought the heavens down to earth. So therefore the heavens were resting on the mountain. He says like a person puts a mattress on a bed. So the same thing, Borei took the heavens and brought them down to the mountain. And therefore God came to the mountain, but there was the heaven there. Which, which this is probably where we get the statement, heaven on earth. That's, that's when this happened. The heavens actually came down to earth themselves. And the God took the Kisea Kavod, this chair of glory, right on top. And the Pasuk says, Hashem el Moshe. God tells Moshe, Red ha'ed ba'am. Go down and warn the people. What's the warning? Do not enter, which means they're not allowed to climb the mountain. At this point, Har Sinai becomes Kodesh, becomes holy. So therefore, B'nai Israel are not allowed to get near the mountain. They can't bring their animals, as we're going to see, close to the mountain. And God forbid the Pasuk says, Hashem, that um, if, they, if they do get close to the mountain, then God forbid that she says, Yehirsu. What is Yehirsu? Uh, Yehirsu means they'll be... Uh, They'll be separated as a nation, which means those that go up are going to die. They're going to separate from the nation. 
you know, that maybe they're curious. They want to see what this mountain's all about because they're going to see the Shekhinah come down. So they're going to have curiosity. So what's going to happen? God says, which means like this, lest the people separate from the camp out of curiosity to go see the mountain because it's going to be a, you know, an eventful item. But the Pasuk says, if that's going to happen, no matter how many or how less people go to the mountain, God forbid they will die. Which means it doesn't necessarily mean a lot of people. If a lot of people go to the mountain, they'll all die. So why does the Pasuk say, a lot. And let's say one person goes to the mountain, they'll also die. So it's not necessarily a lot of people will die, it's anybody that goes to the mountain, even if it's one person will die. But the, she says that one Jew is considered to God as a lot. That even if one is going to die, so that will be considered plenty. Fine. And now the Gemara says, the Gemara, that's tomorrow's class. Now the Torah says, Vegam ha-kohanim ha-nigashim el Hashem. The kohanim. Who's the kohanim? At this point in history, does anybody know who the kohanim were? Not, uh, not the Cohen family, or not the Tawel family. The whole kingdom. What do you mean the whole kingdom? Levim, the Levim. No, at, at, at this point, Aaron. No, the firstborns. The Bechorot. That's right, the firstborns. The firstborn. Wait, you know what, son? Bring me. Uh, wait, just I want. I don't want this to die. This uh, this iPad. One second. You have a plug over here. I can move it over here. It doesn't matter. One second. Just technical, technical issues. Up all time. It's over here. Just see, it just says one percent. I don't want it to die on us. Bingo. Okay. Better. So, yes. So, uh, well, get my coffee over here. It's important too. So the Pasuk is saying over here, the Kohanim at the time was not the Kohanim that we know today. It's the, it's the firstborns. The first, if you were firstborn, you were considered separate to serve God. And then after the Jewish people worshipped the golden calf, so then the firstborns who also worshipped lost their status, and then it went to uh, to the Levim who did not worship the the golden calf. So anyway, the pasuk says that even the priests, which is the Kohanim, the firstborns, don't think they can go to the mountain either. Nobody has an exemption. Don't think you have a religious exemption that your clergy that you'll be able to uh, to go to the mountain. That's not going to be the case. So I'm reading, 
those that will uh, come close to the mountain, those that are normally the ones that bring sacrifices to God, so they're usually close. So therefore you might have thought since they're normally closer to God because they usually bring the sacrifices, they shouldn't rely on their uh, status, on the elevated status to get close to the mountain either. Lest God, husband Shalom, uh, create a pirza, uh, meaning that they'll become broken as well. God will destroy them as well. So that's, that's one of the laws over here. You can't, you can't, you can't come close to Har Sinai. Moshe el Hashem, lo yuchal la'am la'alot el Har Sinai, ki ata ha'edot ta'banu legmor. So Moshe tells Hashem, and this is a, this is a very, very interesting pasuk, by the way. I don't think we find too many pasukim like this in the Torah. Vayomer Moshe el Hashem. Normally, you always have Bayomer Hashem and Moshe. This is amazing. Look, look, look how close Moshe Rabbeinu is. Moshe is talking to God. Bayomer Moshe Hashem. Lo yuchal am la'alot l'har Sinai. Which means the people are not going to go close to Har Sinai. Ki ata'aydot abano lemor. You already told us, Hagbel etahar v'kiddashto. You told us already to separate the mountain and quadrant it off. So that's it. The people are not going to... Uh, as if Moshe Rabbeinu, as if he's saying, you don't have to warn them. They already have a warning already. They got warned already in the previous three days. And they're not going to go up without permission. Meaning it was warned already. So Moshe Rabbeinu would just wanted to make sure that this is not something new. Because he said, we, we, this is something we know already. We already were commanded that the first three, you know, the three days that they prepared in Han Sinai, they were not able to uh, come close to the mountain. So this is nothing, uh, this is nothing new. The Pasuk says, Okay, go down from the mountain and go give them a second warning. Now, why give them a second warning? So we learn a lesson over here. That you warn a person always twice. You warn them before the event comes, and then you warn them again right before the event. So they were warned three days ago. Don't go near the mountain. Don't climb the mountain. Your animals can eat from the grass of the mountain. So Moshe Rebun says, why are you telling us again? No, I'm telling you again to teach you a lesson. Now already it's showtime. Now already we're going to get the Torah. And everybody's going to start coming to the mountain. I'm warning you again. Nobody can say we forgot. We didn't. Uh, we didn't hear it. Ve'alita ata ve'aharon emach ve'akohanim ve'am al yehirstu la'alot la'shem penifrotzbam. So now that she comes along and says. That when they came to Har Sinai, they came in a in a protocol. They came in order at Har Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu was first, as the pasuk says, "Ve'alita ata." That's Moshe, and then Aharon is behind them, and then the Kohanim are behind them, 
and then the nation. So therefore, there was like uh, standing. Everybody, everybody had their uh, their area. So Moshe was the closest. Fine. So now we'll just continue one second. Fine. Then you fruits bam, like we said, let's God attack them. So Moshe Rabbeinu came down to the people. And what? What is that? And he warned them, and he told them exactly what was said. And now we start the Ten Commandments. God, this is the name of God that's being used over here. Elohim is used as a, a judge. God, God is coming as a judge over here because he's warning them that you know, if you do these deeds, you'll get reward, and if not, you're going to get punished. So therefore, this is like a, a judge that gives warning to the uh, to the litigants. So that's why the pursuit uses the name of God, Elohim. Elohim et Now, this is a big hadush that as she says, that God spoke all these devarim. What does it mean, all these devarim? That Akadosh Baruch Hu spoke all the Ten Commandments in one word. Now, that's impossible for us to do, but all the Ten Commandments came down as one utterance of God. That she confesses, It's impossible for a human being to say two words in one shot, let alone Ten Commandments in one, in one word, in one utterance. Rashi then is bothered, uh, but I thought we said that Anuchi because here we have it now separate. So make up your mind whether the Ten Commandments given in one utterance or whether they were given separate. It sounds like when we're going to start reading it now, each commandment was on its own. So that she says that after he said it in one shot, he then went back and delineated uh, each each one of the commandments. And each one was was separated. Okay. Now the pasuk says, and what did he say? So it says lemor. Also lemor. That she teaches us a big kedush, that after each one of the commandments, the Jewish people said yes, or if it was a negative commandment, they said no. So lemor means they said. What did they say? They either said yes, meaning keep the Shabbat, yes, don't murder. Okay, no, we won't. On, on yes, yes, no, no. That's the way they uh, they said. We won't murder. We won't, uh, 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 you know, uh, steal and kidnap, etc. Now he starts the first commandment. Anuchi Hashem 
I am your God. That took you out of the land of Mitzrayim. From the house of slaves. Now, what does it mean? She writes, that's enough reason why you should serve me. I took you out of Mitzrayim. If I did nothing else but that, just the mere fact that I took you out of Mitzrayim, for that alone you, you deserve to be my slaves. That's the first thing. Another explanation is that when God uh, came out of, took the Jews out of Mitzrayim, he appeared at Yamsuf as a warrior because God was a general at that point. But over here, God comes as a, an old man filled with mercy. So therefore, there's different ways that God uh, approaches. So therefore, he has to say, I am the God to get because they didn't recognize this image. So I'm the same one. Over there, I came as the image of a general. But now I'm coming as a merciful, you know, Tamir Hakam, old man, in that image. So therefore, he had to identify himself. And therefore, no one should think that there's two gods, Hasveshallah. Those images are the same God. Now, those are not, of course, images of God, but that's the revelation that had an appearance as that. But God is saying it's the same God. I don't think that sometimes I, 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 I come down as a general, sometimes I come as a Tamir Hakam. No, it's the one God. Fine. Another explanation. That when they heard the Ten Commandments, they heard a lot of voices. It seems there was like an echo that was resonating throughout the world. So God was very clear and said, don't think that those voices that you're hearing are many gods. It's one God. Now, why did God say this in singular form? Anuchi Hashem Elohecha. It should say, I am your God in the plurality. Why does he say, I am your God in the singular, Elohecha? So amazing Hadush over here. Why would God say, as if he's talking to the individual, I am your God? Look how merciful Hashem is. When the Jewish people ultimately would do the golden calf, so obviously they were following a foreign God. So Moshe Rabbeinu was able to defend the Jewish people and say, well, you never told them that you're their God. You were talking to me. They thought that you were only talking to Moshe. Therefore, why are you getting angry at them for? You never gave them a commandment. And therefore, that was the... Uh, the way that Moshe Rabbeinu would be able to defend us. Because she said, Lo The next line is going to be, you should not have another God. That's individual. Lecha. So you never told them. So they said, you never told them. So there's, there's a, there, there, you can't hold them responsible. So again, God says it in the singular, knowing the future, and therefore using this term to allow Moshe Rabbeinu to take advantage of this term, and therefore pray and tell God later on, listen, they never got commanded. You were talking in a singular tense. You were, you were talking to me. 
I am your God, Moshe, Lo Yelecha, you, Moshe. And therefore, that'll get them off the Cheta Ebi. It's unbelievable. The Bet Abadim, and what does it mean from the house of slaves? So that she explains beautifully over here. From the house of Paro, that you were his slaves. Right? She has to fix it over here, because Egypt was not the house of slaves. Egypt was Egypt. We were slaves in Egypt. So that she says, the house of Paro, where we were slaves. But then he says something beautiful. Right. Exactly. That's the way he explains it. Now, you should not have, should not have a, another God, a foreign God, in front of me or on me. Now, what it means, that she says, what, is it, what do you have to tell this for? What do you have to say this for? Because the Pasuk says, there's another Pasuk that says, don't make, that's the next Pasuk, don't make another God. So I would have thought that maybe it's only forbidden to make, I mean, to make, to make an idol or something like that. But let's say it's made already. Let's say you didn't make it. So therefore, the Pasukah say, Lo it should not be. So there's two different rules over here. There's don't make for yourself a new God. And even if it's there already, this idol, so you say, I didn't make it, it was there. He inherited it from his father. No, Lo it should not be to you. So you're getting two, two different, two different items, and the next pasuk says, "No foreign gods." And as she reminds us, there's no such thing as foreign gods because there's no such thing as gods, gods that are really not gods. Which means Elohim acherim means like this beautiful explanation of Rashi over here: Do not make yourself gods that others have made. Elohim acherim, not other gods. Gods that others have created for themselves. But of course, God would never say other gods. That would be derogatory, as if Hashem God has competition. What is God saying? Don't, 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 don't buy from the competition? No, he would not say that. So that was Elohim Ahirim, it's gods that others have made them God, but they're really not. That's that explanation. Another explanation, Elohim Achirim, foreign gods that are foreign to those that serve them. These people, they cry out to these gods and they don't answer them. Of course. So therefore, they make themselves distant to even their own people that serve them. So it's Elohim, gods that are Achirim, that are considered strangers and they're considered distant to those that even serve them. Understand how we're learning the second way of Nashi? So let me explain again. It's beautiful to know this finally, how to learn the Ten Commandments. First explanation is, do not make yourself an Elohim that others have have made for themselves. But not that there's such a thing as other gods. There's no such thing as other gods. The second explanation of Nashi is, do not make for yourself a God that is considered a stranger, a strange God to them, to those that serve them. Because even the people that serve the gods, they don't answer them. So they even consider to the, to the worshippers themselves. 
Al panai. A panai means as long as I am in existence. Because you, you might have thought that maybe we were only commanded against Abu Dazara in that generation. So Al panai is God's way of saying, as long as I'm around, you cannot have another God. And basically, God's around forever. So that means you never can have a other God. Let's just finish now this commandment. Do not make to yourself a pesel. Pesel is a uh, statue. What does it say? Yeah, idol. The chot or an image. Asher Meaning, you want to make, let's say, an image uh, like a star or a moon or a sun. Images of the heavenly bodies. Or you want to make an image of something that's on earth. You want to worship a mountain. Or you want to worship a fish. Or a, a different type of... Uh, you want to worship money. It's also an idol. So all these things are foreign gods. You cannot make. Do not bow to them. Do not serve them. I am your God. El Kana. What does El Kana mean? I am a vengeful God to punish. I'm not going to forgive. Which is normally I'm merciful, I forgive. But on Abu Dazara, I'm Kana. Kana is I'm vengeful. So you're getting a warning. There's not going to be mercy over you. Poked Avon Avot Albani. Al Shilishim Valibim the Sonai. That I will punish both. Father and child. Again, she reminds us only if the child is continuing the ways of his father. When if the father was an Asha and the child continues in his ways, so I'll go after both of them. I'm not going to have any mercy. Look at both generations. But God ends and says, not only do I punish, but, but I also do kindness. Now, this is unbelievable. When a person does a good deed, this is the Ten Commandments now, God rewards them. How many generations does God reward a person for his good deeds? The, the Pasuk says, La'alafim, 2,000 generations. Oh, you believe that? So they will, now you have to know why our community, let's say, is so blessed. Because nothing to do with us. We're already reaping the zikuyot of our ancestors. They did something good, so that carries on for 2,000 generations. However, when it comes to the bad, what did the Pasuk say? God remembers the sins of the father for the children, for the third generation, it says, So when it comes to these sins, how many generations, God forbid, does the sin carry down? Four generations. And how many generations does the zikhut carry down? 2,000. What's the ratio? 500 to 1. Which means the midah, the measure of good is 500 times greater than the measure of bad. There's a famous Talmudic statement that always says that. That God's measure of goodness is 500 times greater than his measure of punishment. And we learn it from here. Sin only carries the four generations. But zikuyot, uh, they carry forever. 2,000 generations basically is forever. Okay, we'll just do one more because these are beautiful. We cannot leave uh, the commandments that quickly. 
even though the hour is late, but we're in the middle of the Ten Commandments, we'll do one more, and tomorrow night we'll start with Shabbat. It's a great night to start with Shabbat tomorrow night, Thursday. Uh-huh. You're not allowed to say my name in vain. What does it mean to say my name in vain? In the olden days when they swear, even today, they swear on God's name. So when you swear on God's name, it cannot be for nothing. What does it mean for nothing? Give me an example for nothing. So that she says, you're swearing to change something that cannot change. For example, you say, um, I swear this rock is gold. Using, I swear on God's name. So you're swearing on a false thing. The rock cannot be gold. Or something different. I swear that this tree is a tree. What are you swearing there for? We know it's a tree. It's obvious. Why would you use God's name on something that's obvious? So that's what it means. Do not say my name in waste. Waste would mean, again, to change something from its reality. And to swear on something that is obvious. And from here we learn how careful we have to be when it comes to saying Hashem's name. It says when this commandment was given, the whole world shook. And every time we say Hashem's name, you have to have fear and trepidation. Even when we're making berachot, you have to remember what's the berachah that we're making. Maybe we made the blessing already. We don't want to say Hashem's name again for no reason. But certainly, you see some people have a bad custom when they want to, talk, they're talking to their friends and they want to show that they're telling the truth. I swear to God, I swear to God. Shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that at all. What are you swearing to God for? First of all, a lot of times they're lying. So, you, you, so, so, so first of all, using God's name for a lie. Second of all, that's not a purpose to, 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 to use God's name for a shavuah. Only when the Torah allows it, but not just um, when does the Torah allow it in court? A Jewish court, of course, that is. So that is the first couple of commandments that we have. So we did Anochi, and we did Lo Yihyeh, and we did Lo Tisa. So those are the first three. Tomorrow, God willing, we'll knock off the, the next seven. And Bezat Hashem, we'll have a beautiful, uh, beautiful Refuah Shenema for Haya Sarah Bat Simcha. And we're learning the Refuah Shenema, Haya Sarah Bat Simcha. We're in the Ten Commandments. If you're following inside, we're in Perek Chaf, and we're in Pasuk Chet. Zachor et Yom HaShabbat LeKadesho. So we're told that we have to remember the Shabbat. How do you remember the Shabbat? So that she comes along and says, you have to remember the Shabbat actually all week long. Let's say you go to the store and you find a nice piece of meat. So you say, oh, this would be good for the Shabbat. Or you find a uh, you know, vegetable or an item. So therefore, you always should be on the lookout in order to get good stuff for the Shabbat. So you're constantly cognizant of the Shabbat. Six days we work. And you should do all your work. 
Now, we never finish all our work. The work never ends. So that she comes along and says that when Shabbat comes, it should be in your mind that you have no more work, that your work is done. Which means you shouldn't think about your work on Shabbat. When the Shabbat comes, your attitude should be, I'm done. All my work is done. Shabbat, you don't have to think about your work. The Yom HaShibi'i, the seventh day, Shabbat Lashem Edoecha, Shabbat Vashem. Lo ta'aseh kol melacha. Cannot do any melacha. No work. You, your son and your daughter, your servants, your maid servants, even the animals have to rest. And the, and the, uh, the ger, the convert that's living in your midst. Now, what does it mean, that you your, and your children have to keep Shabbat so that she comes along and says that it's coming to say, teach us that the adults have to warn the children. That means you shouldn't let the children halal Shabbat either. You have to teach them. So ata, your responsibility is on your children as well. Because God created the heavens and the earth in six days, the oceans, and everything inside, and he rested on the seventh day. Now, of course, God doesn't need to rest. It just means, figuratively, God doesn't get tired, so he doesn't need to rest. But it's to teach you a lesson. And if God has, takes a rest on Shabbat, even though he doesn't have to, so all the more so, we say, that a person who toils and works hard during the week should definitely take a rest on Shabbat. So that's what it means, Vayana. That if, if the Pasuk is referring to God that needed to take a rest, he doesn't fatigue. So certainly humans that work with great strength during the week, so therefore, for sure, they would need a rest on Shabbat. And God blessed the Shabbat by Kaddisheu. Now, how did he bless the Shabbat? So it says, he blessed it with the man. How did he bless it with the man? The fact that the man came a double portion on Friday. So he blessed the, it says two things in the Pesach. Learn this good. It says, God blessed the Shabbat and he sanctified it. How did he bless it with the double man portion that came on on Friday? That's why we have two loaves of bread on Shabbat to commemorate the double portion that came out on Friday. And he sanctified it that the man did not come down on Shabbat. So it's two things, that the double man came on Friday and that no man came on Shabbat. So that's how God blesses the Shabbat. Now we learn the mitzvah of honoring parents. Honor your father and the mother. So you live a long life. So that she says, if you'll respect your parents, you'll live a long life. And if not, God forbid you'll learn a, a short life. Uh, obviously, that's an implication. You, know, you can learn from the positive, you can learn the negative. The Torah doesn't have to tell you the negative, it's implied. 
that if respecting parents brings long life, then the opposite brings uh, God forbid. Lotitzah, don't murder. Lotinath, don't commit adultery. Adultery is going with a married lady. Lotignob. Anybody know what Lotignob is? Don't steal. Wrong answer. Imagine that. Ten Commandments. Anybody know what Lotignob is? Don't kidnap. Not kidnapping a person. Bingo. There you go. There you go. Okay. Strike four. So now Lotignob, but as she says, yeah. it's right. It's talking about kidnapping. Because we have another pasuk in the Torah that talks about monetary stealing. So that's... Uh, don't steal. No, nothing love is not don't steal. What? I'll tell you. Ganav is a stealer, no? Yeah, but what is he stealing? Yes, Azagabaruk, he's stealing a person. Uh huh, kidnapping, right. Exactly. So you're right. You're right. You're right. In that sense, you're right. Ganav is a stealer. Question is, what is he stealing? So he's stealing stealing a person. Because in the Ten Commandments, these are sins that are punishable by death. If a person murders, it's punishable by death. If a person commits adultery, it's punishable by death. If a person steals money, so you're not punishable by death, you just pay it back. But kidnapping, that's punishable by death. Okay, so that's that one. And then we have the next one is which means do not be a false witness, bear false testimony. And don't covet. Don't be envious. Don't be jealous. Don't be jealous of your friend's uh, house. Don't be jealous of your friend's wife, of his avdo Don't be jealous of his slave or his maids. The hamoro of his animals. For that matter, do not covet anything that belongs to your friend. So that's the last of the Ten Commandments, jealousy. Now the person comes along and says, Vechola Am, the entire nation that was standing at Mount Sinai, Ro'ib etakolot. Now, everybody was able to see. So we learn from over here that on Har Sinai, everybody got healed. Even if somebody had an eye problem, somebody got to bed, had bad vision, or they had, got to blindness, Har Sinai actually was a was a moment of healing for B'nai Israel. They all saw. And not only that, but everybody had the ability now to speak. Even if somebody had a speech impediment or God forbid was muted, when it came to Har Sinai, everybody spoke. How do we know everybody had the ability to speak? Because it says the entire nation said Naseb in Isma. That means they had the ability to talk. And not only that, Everybody who had hearing problems, their hearing came back. Like it says, we will listen. So therefore you see that Har Sinai actually was a, was a cure for everybody. That's why they say that when they take out the Torah on Shabbat, it's like Har Sinai. And therefore for those people that are quiet during the Sefer Torah, I can bring them in the Fu'ah. It's a big sigula to go to Shul on Shabbat during the Sefer Torah. And when the Sefer Torah is being read, 
There's tremendous Kiddushah like Har Sinai. I once heard that from a big Mikubal. And it's a great time to pray in between the Aliyot, to pray for sick people, to pray for, for healing. Because you see in Har Sinai, all the infirm and all the handicapped people, they got better. Here it says, They saw the sounds. Now, it's hard to imagine. How do you see a sound? But that's what it's saying. There was a lot of miracles that took place in Har Sinai that you only see took place, you know, once in a lifetime. She says. Yes, they saw the letters. The sound waves. And the Pasuk says, they saw the sounds. They saw the, the fire. They heard the blasting of the shofar. And the mountain was smoking. And the nation saw this. They means they were, they were shaking, as she says. They were sweating, trepidation. Wow. Rashi says that they got so afraid and they got pushed back when they heard the word of God, they moved back out of fear 12 mil. Now, how much is 12 mil? Let's try to figure that out. 12 mil. Each meal is like uh, a distance of 18 minutes walking. How much can a person walk in 18 minutes? Few miles? Yeah, about two. About two miles in 18 minutes? How much is it? Yeah. Times 10, that's 20 miles. 15 minute miles. Oh, so it's about a 15 minute mile, right? So therefore, it's about a mile and change. So it's about 12 miles. Let's say each one is a mile. It's amazing. And then what happened? So they were so far away from Odyssey Night. So when okay. they heard Anoki, there was a pushback. They just from fear. Wow. So then the angels have to bring them all the way back to Sinai. <clears throat> now it says, Vayomiru el Moshe, so the people came to Moshe, and they said, Daber ata imanu, will you speak with us? Vinishman will listen. We can't hear God anymore. We're afraid that we're going to die. It's too strong. It's too powerful. What is that? So Moshe tells the people, don't be afraid. God came to test you, but as she says, God actually came to make you great. That everybody in the world is going to know that we're the only nation that God spoke to directly. So God's not doing this to kill you, God forbid. God's doing this to bring your esteem up, to bring your status up. The whole world will know that the Jewish people are the nation that God communicated. And that's still today. So nasot it means to elevate you. And also in order to bring fear into you. And once the fear comes into the people, so that it'll stop them from sinning. Like we learned the nation stood from far. And Moshe Rabbeinu 
went into the, the cloud that was on Har Sinai, and I feel the thick cloud. And God spoke to Moshe and he said, Speak to the people, tell them this. You saw that I've spoken you to you from heavens. Which means there's a big difference between a person sees with his own eyes or somebody tells you it. Over here, Har Sinai, we didn't, it wasn't hearsay. We didn't hear it from somebody else. You know, sometimes somebody tells you something, yeah, you don't believe it. You don't know if he's telling you the truth. Here it's saying, you saw it with your own eyes. That what? That God spoke, nobody doubted. It was clear, clear as a bell. And now it says, do not make images. And then she says, what type of images are we forbidden to make? The images, for example, uh, of the sun, the moon, the different celestial bodies. <clears throat> Do not make gods out of silver or gods out of gold. <clears throat> and if you know, Rashi comes along and says that in the Beit HaMikdash, we did have a figurine, a gold figurine. It was called the cherubs. That was the only figurine that was permissible. And therefore, look at that. I raised my hand and it says you are raising your hand. Your hand is raised. <laughs> look at that. Lower. Okay. Try that again. It's weird. Okay. So you're not allowed to make, uh, you're allowed to make the, the figurines only of the cherubs, which was in the temple. And as she comes along and says, they had to be made out of gold. You're not allowed to make them out of silver. So that's what it says. Do not make for me a god out of silver. The only one you're allowed to make is out of gold. It's not a god, obviously, because of a sanction. It's the cherubs. And if you make it out of silver, it's going to be considered like a foreign god. That you can only make two cherubs out of gold, but not more than that. So if you make more than uh, two cherubs, so then already you're over on this as well. So we learn from this law two things. Number one, the kiruvim must be made out of gold and not silver. And you can only make two of them and you cannot make more than that. Lo ta'asu lachem. What does it mean, do not make for you, from you? Let's say a person says, well, you know, I want to make cherubs in the Beit Knesset, in the Knesset. You're not allowed, even though you want to do it for God. You want to go on the Hechal on the and make two gold figurines. Not allowed. So that's what it means. So this person actually is teaching you about the laws of these cherubs. Finally, we have to make a Mizbeach for God. The Mizbeach has to be an altar. That's when we have the Mishkan. And it's on the ground it has to be was filled with, with ground from the bottom to the top. It was made out of, out of metal, the frame. But then when they camped, they would put the frame down and fill it up with dirt. So therefore that was called Mizbah Adama. That's the way that she says. Say that again. The frame of it was copper. 
of the Mizbeach. And when they landed in the Midbar, whatever, because they traveled, so when they would stop in a location, they would fill it up. It was hollow. They would fill it up with dirt, and they would bring the Qurban. So it was called Mizbah Adama. And it says, what do you do with this Mizbeach? Ta'aseli. That you have to make it for the sake of God. And you will bring Qurbanot on it. All the different Qurbanot, the sacrifices. Qurban Ola, Qurban Shinamim, Sonecha, Bekarecha, the sheep, the cattle, Bechola, Makomashinis Kirit Shemi. And wherever you mention my name, Avo Elecha Berachticha, I will come and bless you. So that she says over here, certain places you'll have permission to bring sacrifices and mention my name. Where were these places? The Beit HaMikdash. That's where God gave the ability for the Kohanim to lift their hands and bless and use the special name of God. That's a, the special name of God that's only used in the Beit HaMikdash. It's called the Shem HaMifurash. It's the explicit name. Ve'im Mizbah Abanim Ta'asili and if you're going to make for me a mezbah of stones, so what does that mean over here? If you're going to make me a, 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 a mezbah of stones, it means when? One of the mezbahs made out of stones, you're allowed to make a mezbah out of stones, but you cannot use a sharp a knife or a saw to cut the stones. You could just take the stones from the walls or from the from the mountains, but you're not allowed to take metal to cut the stones. Why? Because metal is used for weapons. And therefore, if you use something that's metal on the Mizbeah, you defile it. Logic being that the Mizbeah is supposed to bring long life to the people. So it doesn't make sense to use a weapon which shortens the life of the people. The Mizbeah brings peace between man and God. The weapons obviously bring strife. So therefore, we're not allowed to use a weapon or a sharp, blunt object, metal, to build the Mizbeah. Now, the Shiobir comes along and says a big hadush. Kalbahomri says, he says, these rocks, they don't see anything and they can't hear anything. And they don't talk. But what? By bringing a korban on these rocks, the smizbeah, it brings peace between us and God. And therefore, we're not allowed to use any metal weapon on it. Could you imagine a person that makes peace between man and his wife and family that's fighting, or man and his friend, or the more so God will protect them from any trouble. That means if the Mizbeah, which is a peacemaker, that when you bring the Qurban, it makes peace between us and God. And therefore the Mizbeah, we say it's not fair to use something that is sharp. We cannot use a weapon. So all the more so a person who makes peace, God will protect them from weapons. God will protect them from troubles. So that's the value of making peace. The law when you build the Mizbeach, you're not allowed, to, you have to ramp. The Mizbeach was very high. So they built a ramp to go up to the Mizbeach. You're not allowed to build steps. Why not? 
So it says, Asher lo alav. So your nakedness will not be revealed. Because what happens when a person has steps, so you, your strides of your feet become widened. And then what happens? The steps are able to see your nakedness. Modesty. Now, it's really not so immodest because the queen was wearing pants. It's not like you're seeing a nakedness, but it's just not nice. It's, it's not a nice item. And therefore, you're treating the steps of the Mizbeach in a derogatory way. Now, the Gebara says, wait, rocks don't see anything. So if you're saying that rocks that don't see anything and they don't care and they don't get embarrassed, and Torah says, don't mistreat the rocks by making steps and therefore you can see from underneath. So therefore, all the more so, a person who does have sensitivity, who does have emotion, who does have feeling, all the more so, you should not offend them. Which means if the Torah is telling us we have to be careful not to offend the steps, when does every step get offended? All the more so, one has to be careful not to offend people that do get sensitive and do get, get hurt. It's a lesson. There was one time uh, a rabbi came to a person's house and he noticed that the halah on the table, this is the husband, noticed that the wife didn't bring the chali cover. So he started to yell at her. Where's the chali cover? You know, we have every Friday night. And he embarrassed her in front of all the guests. So the rabbi came along and said, I want to ask you a question. Why, why, why are you screaming at your wife? She didn't bring the chali cover. So he says to him, why do you cover the chali anyway? Do you know the reason why you cover it? He says, no, but that's what we do. He says, well, let me explain to you why we cover it. It's because normally when you have bread and wine, you're supposed to make the beracha on the bread first. Normally we make hamotzi first. But on Friday night, you have a cash 22. We have to make the beracha on the grape juice, on the wine first. So we don't want to embarrass the bread that usually goes first. So we cover it so it doesn't see, uh, it doesn't see what we're doing. So therefore, it's not to embarrass the, the bread. So he says, do you think bread gets embarrassed? So he says, you are trying to protect the bread from the embarrassment. So how do you do that? You embarrass your wife who does feel, who does have sensitivity and does have feelings? It makes no sense. It's backwards. You're more worried about the sensitivity of the bread than the sensitivity. You're worried about the sensitivity of the item that doesn't feel it. And you're not worried about the sensitivity of the one that does feel it, which means these are lessons over here. If the Torah is telling you, you have to be concerned about the rocks, and you have to be concerned that don't use a metal object, and you have to be concerned not to use steps. All these things have to show you, all the more so, that we have to be careful when it comes to human beings. I have good news, Rabotai. Somehow we finished the whole parasha this week, all 72 pesukim, which is a great siman, and the Bizat Hashem will be good you, news Rabbi. for the uh, I, I tell all our members, Shabbat Shalom. It's a big Shabbat to the synagogue this week. Ten commandments as we learned them. Bezat Hashem will bring us all healing. It'll bring us all beracha and all good things. I'm certain that I make a